We're going to get started. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. But before we do, if you missed last Sunday, you missed Mandy. Mandy's first sermon ever, and it was awesome. And so, yeah, give it up. Um, it was really, really good. And um, let me just tell you how um, usually first sermons don't go that well. Um, I can tell you from experience. So 23 years ago, Super Bowl Sunday was my first ever sermon. And it was painful for everybody involved. I started off the sermon and I mixed up some words. And instead of saying, take a look at Isaiah, I, I thought in my head, let's take a peek at Isaiah. And then I mixed up some words and I said, let's take a leak at Isaiah. <laughs> and everybody laughed, except for the seminary professor in the front row, who was not amused. And then it continued from there. So Mandy, you did a great job. It was fantastic. And if you missed it, it's online. I always say it's online. Is it online? Yes. It's online. I always lie to you guys. Let me read Mark chapter 1. Verse 14 and 15. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, for many of you, I just want to admit, today is going to feel a little bit like a recap. A recap of things that I feel like we re reviewed and we've talked about a lot in the life of our church. But here's the thing. I have been, I always feel like I'm growing in my understanding of what the kingdom of God is. I feel like for me, the first years of my Christian journey were about going to heaven when you die and not doing bad things and having a quiet time. I feel like that was pretty much the sermons that I got and the teachings that I got. And when it comes to the kingdom of God, this is such a big nebulous thing and it can be kind of confusing and it can be kind of frustrating because it doesn't, we want definitions. We want to be able to explain things in 140 characters or less. And it's really difficult to just explain what the kingdom of God is. And so today we're going to do a little review of what the kingdom of God is. But here's what we're also going to do. We're going to talk about what the kingdom of God isn't. And because a lot of us, I think we get confused about what the kingdom of God is. And we kind of make it this or we make it that. The kingdom of God is the central message of Jesus. This right here is Jesus' announcement of why he's here, of why God has become flesh and, bent, and, and dwelt among people. This is Jesus' number one reason. And what's interesting is I think that the kingdom of God has somehow along the way not become the central message of churches. Somewhere along the way, we've missed the plot line. And the kingdom of God is confusing. It is kind of like I said, it's this thing that's kind of hard to wrap our head around. And, it's, and you're not alone. If you feel confused about what is the kingdom of God, you're not alone because first century Jews were also confused 
about what the kingdom of God was. And they had this understanding of what they thought was coming, but they were even kind of wrong. And that's why they felt like some tension and some frustration. And this idea, and you've heard this phrase before if you've been around here long enough, that the kingdom of God is here, it's now, and it's still coming, it's not yet. So we use that phrase now and not yet a lot. And it's this, we've used the analogy of um, World War II and D-Day and V-Day. D-Day is this idea when the Allies um, kind of established a beachhead in Normandy, but the war wasn't over. The kingdom of God, Jesus' coming, his first coming, was Jesus establishing a beachhead for the kingdom of God. And yet there's a lot of pain and a lot of blood loss and a lot of of trauma between when Jesus comes and when everything gets finalized, when everything gets fixed, when everything gets put back to how it's supposed to be. And so it kind of all of this idea about the kingdom actually pushes against all that we live with. I mean, kind of the American flow is, is, is something that just feels the tension to what the kingdom of God is. So like I said, we're going to talk about really quickly what the kingdom of God is and what it is not. And so first, I just want to start with this. What is the kingdom of God? It's God's rule. It's the kind of world, really, the sphere where God's will is done. And, and this means that everything's working, everything's flourishing, everything is alive to who God is. And it's, it's another way to say it, it's the society where, God, uh, where what God wants to happen, happens. Meaning, no more disease, no more pain and relationship trauma, uh, no more uh, things just not working in the created order like God wants them to work. So when we get to Mark, we look at Mark chapter 1, John's put in prison. Um, Last week, Mandy talked about Jesus' baptism and how important that is for us to understand what that meant. Uh, But then John's thrown in prison, and then Jesus starts to preach. And he he comes out of the desert, having kind of dealt with temptations and um, all of that stuff. And we've spent time with that this last fall. But he comes out of the desert. And he's proclaiming the good news of God. Remember, the, the good news is the announcement, the, the euangelion, the proclamation. And this is what they would do um, in, in Roman times. They would herald an announcement about a, a victory in battle or about some uh, new Caesar that's coming to power. It would be a, a euangelion. It would proclaim the news of God. And, and this really comes from Isaiah. It comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, the prophet Isaiah talking about what will happen in the future after exile. The prophet says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. So this prophecy is about the coming anointed one who's going to do all of this Isaiah stuff right? Free captives, Um, good news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted. 
And all of this Isaiah stuff is something that Jesus is saying, this is now happening because I'm here. This is breaking in. And here's the announcement. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So this is the central message, like I said, of Jesus, that the time has come and the kingdom of God has come near. Jesus talks about in the Lord's Prayer when he teaches the disciples how to pray. It's, the, I think, one of the best kind of definitions about what the kingdom is. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is a poetic device. This is a par- parallelism. And, and what it is is it's synonym, they're synonyms. So there's two different ways of saying the exact same thing. And so the kingdom of God is this this. I don't know what's happening with my mic, but if it's bothering you, write an email to me, Um, I guess. Um, The kingdom of God is the space where God's will is done. That's where the kingdom of God is, where God is on the throne and he's actively exercising his will. And and what what does Jesus say in the Lord's Prayer? On earth as it is in heaven. And we've talked about this too. And we have this weird understanding of what heaven is and what earth and heaven have to do with each other. Heaven in the scriptures is not somewhere you go when you die. The heavens in the scriptures is this this idea of this invisible world all around you. It's like as close as the air that we breathe. And, And what Jesus is saying here is where God's will is always done and, and what his prayer is, is that would happen on earth. And where earth, where earth is, is where God's will is not always done. And so there's this tension, this overlap. Sometimes things happen on earth and it's God's will. Sometimes things don't go God's will. Because there's spiritual forces at place. There's people in conflict against who God is. And Jesus is saying, that's all about to change. That God's rule has come near. And I know this is review for many of you. And we talk about the kingdom of God all the time around here because it is the central message of Jesus. Okay? And I don't want to lose focus of what that. And so for first century Jews, this was kind of alarming stuff. Because they believed that there was uh, two different ages. And they didn't believe they overlapped. They believed the end of the present age was the end of the present age, and then there would be the age to come. And they didn't think there was overlap at all. And so this kind of freaked them out. There's a verse about Joseph of Arimathea, and in verse 43 it says, A prominent member of the Jewish council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God. So first century Jews were like waiting and expecting and excited and and yearning for the kingdom of God. That's what they were all about. Um, Two passages in in Mark's mind come to mind from Isaiah. It's out of Isaiah 40. It says, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. We've talked about this a couple times. Like, plow a new freeway that God is going to come on and it's level and flat and straight. 
you who bring good news to Zion, go up on the mountain, uh, a high mountain, and, and you who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. So before microphones and, and sound systems and, and all that kind of stuff, before social media, this idea of this is an announcement. This is what God's about to do. And it was written to Israel in exile. And he said, like, if you want to go back and listen to it, we did a series um, a year ago in the book of Daniel about this. And it, and it says, see, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. This idea of God, God is sovereign. He's going to show up and he's going to fix all of this. And he's going to bring good news. Now, there's a couple things that are going on here. But mainly what Jesus is saying is, I am God, come back to earth to lead you into a new reality. I have come to change things. And then, you know, the exile happens. Um, there's a passage in Daniel that I think I'm going to skip this morning. But this idea that, that all of this stuff that God is doing, that one day, after this people is oppressed by the Babylonians and the Medo-Persians and, the, and Alexander the Great and then the Romans, that God is going to come and he's going to show up and he's going to inaugurate his kingdom. And so when Jesus says, the time has come, you know, for us, you and I think about time as like, you know, our watch. But this verb that this, this noun he's using, this, this time, is chronos time, and then there's kairos time. Chronos time is what time is it? Like, hey, what time does the Super Bowl start, you know? Yeah, so somebody knows. And then it goes for like six hours with commercials. That's like, what time is it? Kairos time. <laughs> kairos time is when we've had a lot of babies born. It's when, when the mother says, honey, it's time. There's a moment. And this is what Jesus said. This is the moment we've been waiting for. And this moment, this kingdom of God is starting to break in. And Jesus is saying, it's breaking in, in and through me. And so that's a really shocking and explosive good news. That's, a, that's, a, that's an announcement that... If you hear that announcement and you're a first century Jew, that's a drop everything kind of announcement. But let's switch gears. What, it, what, what is the kingdom of God not? And I think there's four misconceptions of what we think the kingdom of God is. And here's the first one. I'm going to debunk some of these. Misconception number one is the kingdom of God is heaven. The kingdom of God is heaven. Now, what gets us into trouble is this pesky little book called Matthew. Matthew's gospel, Matthew is a Jewish writer. He's the disciple of Jesus, Matthew the tax collector, who ends up writing a gospel account, a biography of Jesus, and he writes it for Jewish people. Very conservative, Torah-observant Jews. And the reason why we get in Matthew's gospel, instead of the kingdom of God, Matthew says, 
the kingdom of heaven. Which if you haven't seen that movie, it's really good. Orlando Bloom and stuff. Um, really good. Anyhow, that's not in my notes. The kingdom of heaven in Matthew, Matthew uh, kind of flips, uh, takes God out of the phrase and puts heaven. And the reason why he does, because Torah-observant Jews would be offended at a document that mentioned the word of God, Yahweh, Elohim. And so in order to have a conversation, in order to get the facts about who Jesus was into their world, he uses the phrase the kingdom of heaven and not the kingdom of God. And for us as Americans, like I said, we have a little problem with the word heaven. We think it's some floaty kind of cloud, mystical place with harps and where it's like a perennial church service all the time. But that's not what heaven is in Scripture. Jesus' desire, and like I said in his prayer, he says, on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, in his prayer, actually gives us a peek of what heaven is like. It's God's dwelling place, or the place that God's will is done. Meaning, Jesus in his prayer wants heaven and earth to collide. Jesus wants God's will, the place where God's will, to then infiltrate earth. Meaning in your neighborhood, in your home, in this city, God's will, God wants his will to be done. And so when Jesus' desires to this idea of earth being remade, the, the problem that you and I have is a lot of us got some of our um, thinking about the end times and how this is all going to finish out from these little pesky books called the Left Behind series. And Left Behind eschatology, or thinking about the future with this Left Behind idea, is that God's just going to burn this earth and, and to the ground and, and fundamentally reshape it. Um, and so what ends up happening is we end up with this kind of poor view of what it looks like to care for this world. I mean, I've literally had peop, Christians tell me, well, it's all going to burn anyway, so might as well, you know, pillage and plunder and you know, strip mine and things like that. Actually, I think with Genesis, with this idea that you and I are called to be stewards and to rule creation, that idea is to take it somewhere, to care for it, to, to just harness the full potential of the earth. And this is why some of you should really kind of actually love yard work. I'm serious. Like, to tend to things, that to tend to your, your little plot, you know? Um, just be that neighbor with a, at least a decent yard. And this idea that God wants to do something, it, he doesn't want to wreck the earth. He wants to, to steward his creation because Jesus, like, God's actually going to bring the fullness back out of creation. So that's why I think Christians really should, we should be the ones that care for this world. And we're not. It's just a little side thing. See, the problem is, is that when you and I think about heaven, we think about somewhere else. 
instead of right here and right now. That one day God is going to recreate this earth and he's going to bring the fullness back to what he wants. And we get to be a part of that. And so actually the, the concept behind that is like, let's start now. Like, like, like let's live as if God is actually through us recreating. Um, and, and we're not there yet. Uh, Romans 8 says that there's this groaning and waiting that's happening, and we're kind of in the middle of that. But we're called to live for the future in the present. And not only with the environment, but with everything. And, and we are the advanced sign of what God is doing and what God wants to do. And what God's kingdom is all about is not somewhere else in the future, but right here and right now. Does that make sense? Second misconception. The kingdom of God is the church. There is a um, well-known kind of church growth movement phrase out there that says the church is the hope of the world. And I mostly disagree with that. It's funny how I, I grew up with all these things and then I'm like, wait a second. The kingdom of God is the hope of the world, not the church. Now, before I get emails, um, I wrestle with it because it's true and it's not true. The kingdom of God, I mean, uh, the, the, the church is the hope of the world. It's always been through people that God wants to do things. But ultimately, God's plan is through a person, the person of Jesus. So all throughout the Old Testament, we have um, people, you know, Abraham and David and, and even the group of Israel, the, the nation of Israel. And then fast forward to you and I, we're, we're broken. We're kind of messed things up. Um, Jesus is the Messiah. We are partners with Jesus in the world. And there's been a lot of, whenever we say like the church is the hope of the world, it puts a lot of pressure on the church. And I just meet a lot of people who, who take that mantle on them and they just get tired and worn down and kind of disillusioned, right? Because when, when you're part of a church and you think it's like, oh man, this is the only hope for Arvada. Like if I was to tell you, the only hope for Arvada is this church. Ugh. That's a little freaky. We are the solution, and at the same time, we're also the problem. Let's just, just be honest. Like, we have this weird thing going on. And as Jesus followers, we are partners in his work. Um, and, and right now, the kingdom of God is made up of men and women and children. And, and, and Jesus' manifesto, if you want to read it, for what his people are supposed to be like is the Sermon on the Mount. 95% of the Sermon on the Mount is about relationships. Last night, I, um, I was at a church service. And some of you know that I help um, other churches in our denomination get started around Denver. And which is kind of a really hard uh, sometimes very discouraging uh, volunteer job I do with our denomination. And last night was this beautiful, bittersweet thing I was a part of. Last night, a church that we had started 
about six years ago, um, had its last service. And um, I was asked to come, and um, they had a lot of friends there and a lot of people just kind of rooting them on. And, and what struck me was it was, really, it was a really powerful night. I mean, it was kind of one of those things like, like if you knew you were dying and you could say whatever you wanted to the people around you, like just to, to mend things and to encourage them, right? To say like what you've been, wish you could have said and you should have said two years ago kind of night. So there were tears and there was celebration and all of this stuff. And, and I got to see people stand up and say, this is what this community has meant to me. This is what this community has done. And this is how it's transformed me. And this is what I now know God wants me to do. And it was just beautiful and really hard. And I was driving home. It was way down in Littleton, so I had a lot of, lot of drive time. And I was driving home, and I was thinking about us. And I was thinking about us as a community. And I know not all of us are here every week, and, and it's just kind of an in and out, and life goes by, and all that kind of stuff. But what would it look like if we actually were intentional about each other? And, and, and not wait, you know, and, and just say, this is what's happening in my life. This is, this is how I'm just really fearful right now, or this is, this is how I've been really radically changed by this community. And so my, I'm, I'm hoping maybe next week, in our, in our house churches, we could just come ready to just encourage each other what it looks like to be the kingdom. Now, the call of God on your life is really simple. If you follow Jesus, the call of God on your life is to love God and to love people. That's what God's call is on your life. And and that whole idea of loving, loving your neighbor, is it, you can draw a way bigger circle than just the neighborhood neighbor. But even the people in your life that are difficult to love. And so the church, um, the church is not the kingdom. It's an expression at times of the kingdom, but it's not the weight of the kingdom of God. Here's the third misconception. This is where the emails are coming. The kingdom of God is sociopolitical. Now, I told you that all year we're going to talk about what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in a hyper-political, charged, tribal environment. And how it looks for us to be people of the future, not freaking out at every turn of the news dial. I hear this a lot. Um, it's kind of found in two different groups of people. Um, mainline progressive, the, the mainline progressive church crowd who believes in this idea of just pure social justice and that's, that was all Jesus was about. And then there's this kind of 80s, 90s right-wing moral majority crowd. It also kind of, picks up that banner, and Jesus is on our side. And I just think both crowds think that the way forward is political. But for Jesus, it wasn't about politics. Um, this was not a strategy of Jesus, politics. Jesus said little to nothing about the burning issues of politics of his day. 
He wasn't asking, you know, answering questions about um, taxation and poverty and, and the Roman incursion. He wasn't doing any of that stuff. There's a great book by a guy named Richard Bauckham. He wrote it, I think, in the 80s or 90s. It's about the politics of the Bible. It's really good. Here's a little quote from it. It's not going to be on the screen. Jesus' vision of God's rule was not of a Jewish state liberated from Roman rule, but of a society formed by God's healing and forgiveness and grace. A people sustained by God's fatherly provision, inclusive of all those who tend to be left out or pushed to the margins of society, characterized not by domination but by mutual service, on which all status and privilege are replaced with brotherly and sisterly and motherly relationships. That's what Jesus was about. And so this is not all to say that Jesus was completely non-political. I mean, most Jewish politics, um, you know, it was kind of a religio-political situation. And it was different than most popular uh, Jewish options of the day because to Jesus, the way forward was power under not power over, okay? And I think that's really, really, really clear. This has kind of been a little mantra of mine. I'm going to throw this up on the screen. And I put some we's in here instead of some I's, but this is kind of how I see politics. We are exiles living in Babylon. Babylonian politics are interesting and sometimes quite entertaining, but they aren't redemptive, and they didn't, and never will die for us. Our allegiance will always be toward the one who will bring us home. And so I just want to keep encouraging you this year in this. Um, if you want to see something change in this world, in our government, in our neighborhoods, it's about you being a presence. It's about you and I being a faithful presence. Not a voting, yelling presence. Not an arguing, name-calling presence. But a faithful presence. City council, neighborhood, um, school board, volunteer in your school classroom. Do something because no one's listening to you. Do something like be a faithful presence. And here's the fourth misconception about the kingdom of God. And this one's going to be confusing at first. The kingdom of God is spiritual. Now, what I mean by spiritual here is what I think our world calls spiritual. Like this internal, um, nebulous kind of feeling, this like reflective feeling, just me and my Bible or me and my yoga mat kind of spiritual. Okay. What, um, what I mean by this is that, yes, a quiet time is very important. Praying and, and, and slowing down, all of that, very important. But in the history of the church, um, back to the fourth century, there was this monastic movement. And it started because the Roman government married itself to the church under Constantine. And there was a lot of people within the church that were frustrated by this marriage, this allegiance together. And so they, they went to the desert. 
and they felt like the only way to be um, the kingdom of God is to be alone in the desert, to withdraw from society completely. And ultimately what this ended up, and you fast forward a number of years into the enlightenment and and all this kind of things, it it, it really became this idea of of this personal relationship with Jesus, you and me. You know, we just have our own um, spirituality. And Jesus said that the kingdom of God is within you, and that's true. But it doesn't stop with you. And it's not all about you. It's actually bigger than your individual quiet time. And when Paul talks about being spiritual, Paul says that it's people who are animated by the Holy Spirit. And when we're animated by the Holy Spirit, that is the expression of the kingdom around us. And so that's just my four misconceptions about the kingdom of God. And, And when we have these misconceptions about the kingdom of God, what we really do is we actually make the kingdom of God smaller. And it shrinks Jesus' rule over our lives. So if you have this idea that the kingdom of God is about heaven, um, and it's about a future time and a future reality, then what about now? Like, what about your body? And what about the, the neighborhood park down the street? And what, what about now, right? And if the kingdom of God is just about the church, um, uh, you could throw all of your effort into doing church things and buying Christian things and hiring Christian plumbers and, and just doing Christian things and only listening to Christian music and watching Christian movies and, and just really throwing yourself into the Christian stuff. But what about economics? And what about the world that we live in? And what about art and culture and all of that? What about, let me ask you this, what about if you think that the kingdom of God is just socio-political and, 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 and fixing the poor and, and changing justice issues, which are all really good, but what about your own sexuality? Like, does God have anything to say about that, right? And if you think it's just about spiritual, the kingdom of God is just spiritual, well, that's great. But even if you're like this amazing prayer warrior that spends hour or two a day reading the Bible and praying, and then you're done, well, what about your drive to work? What about your coworkers? What about your job? Does God have anything to say about your work? Your life, your money, your finances. See, what about all that? We have, we have a kingdom, a sphere that you and I have dominion over. And most of you this morning got up and, and chose what you were going to wear today. Most of you. Some of you had that picked for you. But most of you, like, have a kingdom. You have dominion over what you're going to wear and what you're gonna, whether you're going to come to this or not and, and what you're going to do this evening, who you're going to root for, even though it should be the Niners. The idea that this, eternal, this idea of eternal life has kind of, kind of been pushed into us, this idea that eternal life is, is, is sometime in the future, and, and yeah, it sounds like I'm getting that if I follow Jesus But a better translation of the words eternal life are actually life, the life in the age to come. That's what eternal life, the life 
in the age to come. To live under God's rule now is to live in a way, in, in, a, in a fashion, in a form that you will one day live forever. Does that make sense? That that is what our response is. And so what does this mean for us? I think it, like Jesus is announcing this, it actually means something. It actually is like, here's what he began to announce that the kingdom of God is here. It's kind of a drop everything announcement. Well, I think it demands a response. And as we finish up here, I just want to ask a couple of questions. If the kingdom has come near and the king is present, then what in my life needs to reflect? What in my life needs to change to reflect that? This old lifestyle of indifference to God and his will, it's got to it's gotta be pushed aside. And, and that's what this whole idea of repent and believe. Repent is this Greek word, meta uh, noeo, and meta means to restore, change, and noeo means to think. To restore and change how you think. To think about the world in a whole new way. And because of that, because of this announcement of the kingdom, it means that you and I need to consistently and constantly repent, meaning to change the way we think. And, and to change the way we think about everything in our lives. Uh, N.T. Wright put it this way, give up your agenda and trust me for mine. And we all have an agenda and, and what is it that we're hanging on to? Um, if your agenda doesn't fit with Jesus' kingdom dream, and it's time to give up your agenda. Because ultimately, his mode, his way of life, his, his kingdom vision is so much better. It's so much more of life. And so what I want to do to finish, and um, we are absolutely going to be done, is I want to stand. And I'm just going to have you stand, and I'm going to ask a couple of questions over you. And what I want to do is just, just in this moment, before we rush off, is just to slow down, take a deep breath. Listen to the Holy Spirit for a minute. What is the one area of your life where God doesn't rule? What is that area? What is that place? Where is that part of you that needs to be restored? To rethink, 
Where is that place that you have closed off for God? Maybe it's a wound. Maybe it's an area that of pride. The kingdom of God isn't somewhere else. Jesus says the kingdom of God is within us. If you've surrendered your life the kingdom of God has has birthed inside of you. And what this opportunity is for us is to think about a little planting that God has birthed inside of us and, and imagine what it would look like to, to tend to that. The parable of the seed that Jesus says will grow and become a huge tree. What would, what would help that grow in you? What needs to be removed? What needs to be cleared away? How does that need to be tended? How, how does that need to be watered in you? Jesus, we are thankful for what you've done for us. That you showed us with such great news to announce to us. That with your disciples and as you taught, you told us to seek first the kingdom of God. That we would seek after it, that we would yearn for it, that we would chase after it, that we would do all we could to care for it, that we would drop everything for it. Because you want to fundamentally transform us all of us, every facet of us. To become the kind of people who live in this world but are not overcome by it. That bring love and forgiveness. That bind up and, and care for people that set people, help set people free. And that starts in our own lives. It starts in our own families. It starts in our own relationships and our work and our schools and our neighborhood. God, that is the kingdom. God, give us a vision for that. Maybe for the first time. And may we be your kingdom on earth. And we pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Okay, church, go. Go be the kingdom. Go live the kingdom. And I'm not supposed to say it, but have a great Sunday. (laughs)